God, um, uh, besides just hearing the song, we want to live it. And we want to live um, lives that bring your kingdom to other people, that influence this world in how we love and how we care and how we live and how we talk. And so today as we talk about influence again, as we talk about um, our the responsibility we have to represent you, uh, would you open our hearts and our minds to grasp maybe just the one thing you want us to catch for each of us? We ask this in, Je in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so, so we've been in this um, series called Influence, and we've talked about, first of all, just the dynamics of influence and how God influences us. And we talked about last week, circles versus rows, and the need to be in circles and influencing each other. And today we're going to talk about, um, about influencing those people maybe who are far from God. And uh, I just want to start with this embarrassing faith moment that I had. Um, most of you know maybe that my, I really turned my life over to Christ when I was a senior in high school. That means when I was a sophomore and a junior in high school, I was living uh, with an awareness that God was maybe real, but no active relationship with him. I mean, I, I went to church because we grew up in a Christian family. By the way, growing up in a Christian family does not make you a Christian, right? You just, it just means that you went to church. That's what I did. We went through the motions. And, uh, but my, my sophomore and junior year were spent with guys who, I mean, we were all good guys. We weren't bad people. We weren't out doing things that were, I mean, they were mostly legal, um, you know, <laughs> more underage than, than illegal kind of things. And that was kind of the, the pace of life that I lived. We, we, we played cards together, but it was only like for five bucks. It wasn't like we were gambling, gambling. I mean, as, you know, I suppose it's a doorway. But anyway, we, we hung out together. We had great friendships together. And, um, and there's two guys that I hung out with a lot and all those things that, that um, named Peter and Sean, really, really close friends. And I remember when I, when I came to a point in my life, and here's what the issue was, I... I couldn't figure out why life was kind of worth living. It wasn't that, wasn't that I had a death wish. I just thought, so if I die now, or if I die 70 years from now, like I'm 17 years old, so 77 seemed real old to me at the time. Now I'm thinking more like, you know, if I die when I'm 95 or something, it's interesting how your age of death moves up as you get older. Uh, but I was thinking, like 70 years from now, what's the difference? I mean, if there's, if there's no God and there's no... If there's nothing past this, what does this life even matter for? And those are the kind of dark thoughts I had as a high school kid. And, and so there came a point where I just said, you know what, God, if you're there, I don't, and this is kind of my prayer, if you're there, I don't want to miss out. And, and God, and I'm not going through the whole story today, but he entered my life in such a way that he started to transform it. And I found the joy of knowing God and everything changed for me. Right, so that was my, my beginning of my senior year. But when that happened, I had to back away from some of those friendships because they were doing things that were not God-honoring. I knew God didn't want me to do those things. And it's not that I didn't love those friends because they were great guys. It's just that we didn't hang out so much. In fact, one of them gave me a ride home one time, and he said to me, um, I've, I've shared this story before, he said to me as we're driving, he goes, what's with you, Mathers? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're not coming with us on Friday night anymore anywhere, and you're not doing these things anymore, and, and I feel like we're losing your friendship kind of a thing. He didn't say exactly those words, but kind of close. And, and I said, Sean, you don't want to know. And he goes, I do want to know. What is it? And I said, you don't want to know. 
He goes, I do want to know, what is it? And I said, you don't want to know? And he goes, yes, I do. And I said, okay. It's because Jesus is in my life. And it's because I've turned to God. And he pulled the car over. And he goes, what? And I said, I'm the, I'm, 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 I don't know how to explain this, but I'm happier, and probably wasn't the right word, I'm more joyful, more, happier than I've ever been, Sean. Right? And I don't think Sean even rem- remembers this conversation. And... Um, he pulled away and he said, I'm going to cram a beer down your throat, Mathers. And that was the last thing we ever talked about that. So now, fast forward the clock, a couple, three years after high school. You know, Lori and I are, are dating or engaged, I think, at the time. And we went up to Duluth, the hometown, and we saw um, Peter and Sean. And they're both Christians now. Right? In fact, they're pastors, which is just amazing to me. <laughs> They're not good ones, but they are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're awesome guys. Right? But, but they looked me up. Doug, you got to come over. We've got to talk to you. And so I go talk to them, and they go, Doug, 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 Peter and Sean, both together. Doug, we became Christians. We found Jesus. I said, guys, that is so great. And they said, yeah, and we want you to find him too. <laughs> I've been following Jesus for like three or four years, faith. You know, and... And I, I said, well, guys, I've been following Jesus for three, four years. And they looked at me, and they go, well, why didn't you tell us? We could have had a whole different three to four years than we had, but you never told us. And this is like this embarrassment wave. And I, and I, and I wanted to tell Sean, Sean, don't you remember that? He just... I, didn't, right? But, but that was it. It was this embarrassing faith moment. And here's what they were telling me. I could have been the first domino for them. And somebody came up to me last night and said, Doug, don't be so hard on yourself. You probably were the first domino. They don't remember. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. But I could have been more. They didn't even know I was following Jesus. They didn't even know I was a Christian. And it's like, um, and I, know what, I know what it is. It's, it's the undercover Christian thing. Right? It's, it's sort of like, yeah, I'm a secret agent for Jesus. No one knows that I serve Jesus. And, um, and, and, but I could have been their first domino. So throughout the series, I'm saying, hey, what's at, what's at stake? And I've said every single time, hey, for those of us who are following Jesus, I said, here's what's at stake. Will we be the salt of the earth? And will we be the light of the world? And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is the ultimate high Stakes. Another way of saying it is, will we be the first domino? Or will we be a domino? You know, to help others. One falls and another gets influenced to fall and another falls until people make choices and decisions to connect with God. And I've also said, by the way, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's true for all of us, everyone, what's at stake is the regret of a low-impact life because there's something that I believe God's put inside of each and every one of us in our DNA that makes us live our lives, and at the end we want to say that was worth it. I made an impact. I made an influence. We want to be more than consumers, more than creating another widget or selling another gimmick. We want to do something substantial, impactful, influential with our, with our lives. Now, for a moment, I need to speak to those of you who fit into that everyone category, the ones that you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're here in this, this room today. And I just I want to start. So if you're not a follower of Jesus... Right? Here's the admission that I want to make between, between you and me. We have a dream for you. We have an agenda for you. We've got, we have a prayer for you. 
right? And our goal, I'm so glad you're here. Our goal and our dream for you is that you would know God as your father, which is much different than for you to come to church every week. That's not our dream for you. That you would read your Bible every day. That's not the dream for you. That you become very religious. That's not the dream for you. Our, my dream for you is that you would know God as your father. Everything else flows from there. Right? That you would know the love of God. This is why Jesus came to earth. And this is why Jesus died on the cross. We'll say, as, as Christian people say, he died for our sins. Right? Well, the, the power of sin is that it separates us from God. By the way, the power of sin is it separates all of our relationships, doesn't it? I mean, if you sin against your husband or your wife, you've got this gap. You've got to figure out how you're going to make it right again. Your kids sin against you. You sin against them. You've got this gap. It, sin destroys relationships. But ultimately, the relationship, the most important thing it destroys is our relationship with God. And Jesus came because we couldn't fix that. He came, and in some mysterious way on the cross, he took all the sins on the earth of, of, of all of us on his back, and he opened the door through his death for us to be right with God. Right? God's not holding it against us. He goes, come through the door. You can be a part of this relationship. You can know me as your father. We, you can be right with God. That's what I did when I was 17 years old. I, I kind of laid it down and just go, man, I'm just going to throw it all. God, if you're there, catch me. If you're there, I, I need forgiveness. If you're real, and he kind of showed himself to me in different, different ways. So our dream is for you to know God as your father. Now, why is that dream? <laughs> Why do I have that dream for you? It's because I remember what it is like to live without God. I remember what it is to be 16 and 15. I remember when the highlight was looking forward to a Friday night, and it never panned out, never filled up. I was still thinking about, is life even worth living? Everything else I chased in life never, never filled me up. And I know what it's like to live without God, without, really without hope. Because if this is all there is, Please don't go commit suicide after I say this, okay? Seriously. If this is all there is, what's the point? If there is no God, what's the point? Now that drove me to God. I hope that question would drive you the same way, but it came out of a sense of hopelessness. So if this is, if this is you, and you, obviously, and you're here right now, you are, right? I just want you to know three things. First of all, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here because I want you to come and hear and learn. And some of us are here because our mom made us come. And some of us are here because we're making him happy or her happy by being here. And some of us are here because we're going, yeah, these are the exact questions I'm asking. I'm just hoping you'll talk about something that's really relevant to my life that I can grab onto and, and find this missing piece to my life. I'm so glad you're here. Secondly, I want you to know something that may be a little bit may not know it. Someone's praying for you. I can promise you, very, very likely, someone's praying for you by name. If, if someone invited you to come here, right, hey, you've got to come, I promise you, they're praying for you, right? And, and for some of you, if you're here because someone dragged you here, that person's praying for you. For some of us, it's our grandmother praying for us, our, our parents are praying for us. Um, for some of us, it's maybe not by name, but this church is praying for you. Because we want this to be a place where you discover this relationship with God, this God as Father that we've discovered. So someone's praying for you. And the last one is I want to just encourage you, don't quit coming. Don't, don't quit seeking. You've got to keep on asking questions. Whatever it is between you and 
what I'm going to call the line of faith, crossing that line of faith, keep asking those questions to try to figure it out. Keep thinking. Some churches don't say that. Keep thinking. Wrestle with the hard stuff, the questions. Don't let the intellectual stuff be smoke. I mean, real questions, not just intellectual, you know, can God create a rock so big he can't lift it? Stupid questions, right? Don't ask that kind of question. Ask real ones. What's between you and that line? Wrestle with that. And then, and then the last one is, and this might surprise you, for those of you who don't follow God or have this relationship with God, keep praying to the God you don't believe in. Keep praying, because that's what I did. God, if you're there. I mean, I remember my prayer. God, if you're there, I don't want to miss out. God, if you're there, then nothing else can be figured out without you. That was my logic. God, if you're there, nothing else matters unless you're in it. So God, if you're there, answer my prayers. And I would encourage you to pray to the God you don't yet believe in. Right? And then keep asking, keep seeking, keep, keep coming. Right? So I mentioned the line of faith. So on one side of the line of faith, where some of us are right now, we're far from God. Maybe we're keeping him away from us for some reason. We don't want him interfering with our lives. Maybe we just don't believe at an intellectual level. Maybe this, we're brand new. We've never heard this stuff before. But Jesus, you probably believe Jesus existed as a historical figure a wise teacher, something like that. Then there's this movement, this line of faith where you go from you're far from God to where we actively trust God because he's our father, because we lo- he loves us and we trust him. And, and then Jesus, in that role, it becomes our personal savior. He died on the cross. That's why we call him the savior for us. He opened that door to that relationship. But there's this line of faith that we're all on one side or the other of. Right? Some of us think we can straddle it a little bit, and I get your life may straddle it, but your heart won't. Right? You, you may live like this and live like that, but your heart, you're on one side of the line or the other side. Now, if you've crossed the line of faith, so now I'm going to talk to those of us who go, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what I believe I am, right? I believe in God. So if you've crossed that line, you know God is your Father, this message is really for you because you could be someone's first domino. You could be their first domino, or you could help influence a domino that's already going. You could be a part of it. It means that we can influence people to step closer to that line of faith and and maybe even to cross that line. We can't make that decision for anybody else. That's their decision, but we can influence. In fact, we can't help but influence them one way or the other, right? So, but here's the deal. If we're going to be that influence, we're going to have to go back. We're going to have to go back. Now, I'm going to explain to you what I mean by going back, and I'm going to explain it to you from a biblical story that, that maybe you've never even read before. It's one of my very, very favorite stories in the Bible. I try to teach on it about every four to five years, so we're at about that point. It's 2 Kings 7, 3 through 11, and here's what's going on. Israel is in a famine. Now, let me go to the map for just a moment. You'll notice that, that at this, so when we think of Israel, we think of like this area here, Right? But if you notice this line right here, there's, there's a line. So this is Judah, because the kingdom is divided. So the southern kingdom was called Judah, and Jerusalem is the capital. The northern part of, of Israel, when it's called Israel, um, the capital was Samaria at that time. So the, the, you, know, you remember David and Solomon would keep going through the kings, and eventually the kingdom splits into two, a northern and a southern kingdom. And what has happened is Aram has come down and surrounded the city of Samaria. And so this text is about, about what's going on in Samaria. 
at, at that time. And because they're surrounded, there's a siege, no food is coming into the city. And things are desperately bad at a food level, right? So the Bible talks about, right, you can go read it for yourself in, in chapter 8, beginning of chapter 7. It talks about this famine and being surrounded. And it talked about the price of food. But it says, donkey heads sold for this astronomical amount of money. Who eats a donkey head? Right? You got the whole donkey. Why didn't they talk about the donkey back hindquarter, right? Or the donkey leg or something? No, it's the donkey head where there's hardly any meat at all. It's selling for this astronomical price. It talks about the price of pigeon dung. For, they were selling pigeon poop for, for, for food. How desperate are you? And then the last thing is, it talks about this king walking through the city, and he sees two women arguing. And he goes, what are you guys arguing about, ladies? And, and one of them says, well, we agreed a few days ago or last week or whatever it was that, that if worse came to worse, we would, we would eat our children, our babies. And we ate hers a few days ago, and now she's hidden her baby, so we're going to starve to death. How bad is it? Right? And I wouldn't even tell you that story because it's so distasteful except for the fact that it's in the Bible. And, that, and that's how bad things were. So when we hear about the story, where they're at, we get an idea. These people are on the edge of death. The very, very edge of death in that city. And they're, they're surrounded by the Arminians, Ermin, right? And I can never say their name right. So here we go. All right, so I'm going to read to you the text because here's what happened. It says, now, in that context, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Now, when you hear the word leprosy, we always think of the disease of leprosy. But leprosy, when you hear it in the Bible, it could be almost any skin disease. They would, they would move those people to the outside. They would, they'd say they're unclean because they found out, you know, you could tell it's contagious. So it could have been any kind of skin disease, but these four men are outside uh, of the city gates. They've been pushed out as unclean. And they're looking at each other, and they go, why should we sit here waiting to die? Right? We've been kicked out of the city. We're outside the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back in there. Right? They're basically saying, we're hopeless. If we stay here, we die. If we go back inside there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. Right? What's the worst that can happen? If they let us live, so much the better. If they kill us, we would have died anyway. Right? I mean, we're just basically, we're going to die. Our best shot, and it's not much of a chance, is to go to the enemy, the Aramean army, and see what happens. So, at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. And they came to the edge of the camp. When they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. Right? This big army is, is, is gone. It's quiet. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the sounds of a great army approaching... They were, they were having, like, hallucinations from God, right? There's a whole big army coming. They're, they can hear and feel the shake of the earth and the sound of the chariots and the, the yelling of the, of, of the warriors coming to get them. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites far to the north. They weren't coming. And the Egyptians far to the south, they're not coming to attack us, they, they cried to each other. I mean, they were, they're, they're making up stuff because they're so afraid. So they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, their donkeys. They're just running like crazy men away from their camp. And they ran away from everything else and, and as they fled for their lives. So you could kind of tell, they, they thought this army was right on top of them. 
So when the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went, and I'm just picturing them very cautiously looking inside the tent. They went into one tent after another. And once they got a little comfortable with it, they started to eat the food and drink the wine that the guys had left behind because they were starving, right? And they were probably partiers, so they're drinking the wine. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it, right? They probably buried it or something. So these four, these four guys who walk into this camp, they're making themselves phenomenally comfortable. They're eating. They're drinking. They're finding the good stuff, and they're hiding it for later on. They're going to use it. And then, if they've done this for quite a while, verse 9 comes, and they, they say it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This isn't right. This is a day of good news, right? You know the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jews. This is the good news. The gospel of lepers today, right? That's what they have here. This is good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. We're just stuffing ourselves, making ourselves comfortable, and living the holy huddle of the lepers here, right, in, in this camp. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. They're thinking, this cannot make God happy. God's going to, I mean, they have this, not great theology, but God's going to get us if we don't do something. So come on, let's go back. We know this isn't right. Let's tell the people at the palace what we've discovered. So they went back to the city, and they told the gatekeepers what happened because they weren't allowed in. They had leprosy. So they told the gatekeepers. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. And the horses and the donkeys, we don't have to eat the heads. we got the whole body. And the fat donkeys are there. And they were tethered and and the tents were all in order, and there wasn't a single person around. And then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people of the palace, and they sent a couple of spies in to make sure it was true. And then all the people ran out of Samaria and, and ate all the food. In fact, people got trampled to death in the process. That's how hungry they were for that good news. So what's the critical moment of that story? It's verse 9. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. It's not right. This is a day of good news. We have the good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. When I read this passage, I can't help but think, I am those guys. I am those guys. Let me take you back a ways. By the way, I've thought I am those guys at several different points in my life as I start to drift away from what God wants me to do. When I was a youth pastor, things were going really well, but Lori and I moved into a cul-de-sac in North Rochester. And there came a day when, uh, I mean, student ministries and church stuff was dominating my life. And one day, after about three years of living on this cul-de-sac, Lori took me out to the edge of the driveway. She said, Doug, let's play a game. And I said, what game? That sounds like fun, right? What game? She goes, name the neighbors. And I go, well, um... Buck lives there, and the only reason I knew Buck lived there is because he was outside all the time, and as people drove down the road, they would yell, Hey, Buck! Hadn't really talked much to Buck, even though he's my neighbor. And I looked at the next house, 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 all the way around. Lori, I don't know any of them. And it was at that moment, I thought, this isn't right. I'm so busy doing church. I don't even know who lives in my street. 
I don't know my neighbors. By the way, you need to know something. That moment, that moment was the very first seed of why crosswinds exist. Because I thought to myself, if I'm going to fix my life, I might as well fix yours too, right? <laughs> and um, I'm not doing this alone, but something was wrong with my life. I'm the guy, right? And I remember my life without hope, without meaning, without God. I know how full my life is, and I'm busy with the, with the other lepers, hanging out, enjoying our lives, holy huddling, playing church together, doing all this stuff. But I don't even know my neighbors. And it's not right. And, and I knew I, I've got to go back. I've got to go back, right? Because I know what it is to live far from God. I know what it is to just think of Jesus as a, as a bedtime story or a historical figure instead of knowing him and my relationship with God as my father. And it changed everything for me. And I was enjoying that, but I wasn't sharing it. And I knew that the wages of sin were death, which is like separation from God and ultimately eternal separation from God. Right? That's the power of sin is to separate us from relationships. And God is the most important one. But the free gift of God, the invitation of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not just a long eternity. It's life in a relationship with God, which is what he created us for in the first place, with each other and with him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's, those are the two things we're made for. That's what fills life up. And I remember saying to myself, this is not right. I'm not sharing it with anyone. Now, I was professionally with students, but that was my job. I wasn't doing it the way God wanted me to do it with my neighbors, with other people. And, and it, you get it, right? So at the heart of Crosswinds is a desire to go back and share what hopeless lepers have found. This is what started our church. This is, this is who we are. This is in our DNA. This is what we're supposed, supposed to be about. By the way, I want you to know something. This, you know, you have values in any organization, every family. Gravity, there's gravitational pull down on all values. This value of going back is, has the greatest gravitational pull. Well, why is that? Because it can be so great to be together. It can be so great to go to church. It can be great to learn another thing. It can be great to be in small groups. It can be great to do all those things. But gravity pulls at this, and it feels a little high risk to go back. Well, what if they don't like me? Well, they didn't like Jesus either, so figure it out, right? I mean, that's kind of, it's, boy, I'm hard today. All right, so we put this into our mission statement. Maybe you don't read it that way, but every week you see it. Our mission statement is to convince people of the relevancy of God. The relevance, why is God relevant? Because he's real, because he loves you, because he's died for you, because he wants this relationship with you. God is relevant because he wants you to learn how to manage your life in a way that works. He wants you to help you with your kids and your money and, and your future. He's not out to make you comfortable, but he's helping you to live wisely. Right? So it's the relevancy of God, and then to lead them in becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is, by the way, those of you who are still with me that you, you, know, you don't believe yet, you're, you're um, apart from God, or you're keeping God apart from you, or, you know, this, is, this just means, it just means we want you to know God as Father. We want you to experience all the goodness of, of the Father. Right? And I love this part in the text, if we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. I don't think a calamity is going to fall upon us necessarily. 
we're not going to please God. God gave, brought us, us lepers, those of us who are followers of Jesus, so that we can go back out and be salt and, and, and light. And so, come on, let's go back. Followers of Jesus, let's go back and tell people at the palace. Let's go back and get the ones we left behind. Let's be someone's first domino. Now, the question is, how do we do that? How do we go back? And what I'm going to do with the remaining time we have is just share a very simple, the philosophy, the strategy of crosswinds, what we've said, we all want to be doing this. There's, there's more we can do for sure, but all of us want to be doing this. So how do we go back? The first thing we got to do is we got to go back and develop some authentic friendships outside of the church. By the way, if you've ever wondered, how come the church only, and, you know, they want us to do small groups and they don't have a lot of evening things every week. But, you know, I mean, if you're on a team, maybe you got something. The reason for that is we want you to have time to actually have friends who aren't us. If we're all together every single night of the week, and there's churches that do that every single night, you feel like you're at church forever, all the time, right? You have no time for friendships. In fact, they've done studies on this, and the last study I read, it was when someone becomes a Christian, when they cross that line and they know God is Father, it takes two years to get rid of all their non-Christian friends. And after two years, all their friends go to the same church they go to, or part of the same Christian ilk that they're a part of. How are we ever going to be salt and light in a world that we remove ourselves from? Well, we don't have any friendships and caring about other people. So we have to have time and we have to go out and have authentic friendships outside of church. Right? And, I, and my prayer is I hope you have, you're probably doing a little check on yourself. Do you have any friends who aren't following Jesus? Do you have, I mean, real friends. People you care about Peter and Sean's in your life what do we do well we, we develop those authentic friendships and and by the way I use authentic friendships so that you don't go authentic friendships so that we can lead them to Jesus because what you do if you go and lead them to Jesus it means you've just made them a project whether they come to Jesus or not and by the way if, if they're a project they'll know it if your friendship's not authentic they'll know it so that's why I add love them Right? Because I know you know this. You know when somebody's trying to sell you something or they really care about you. Right? I mean, the person who sells you shoes and they compliment you on how you look and they, they go, how are you today? You know they don't love you. You know they're selling something. Right? And the same thing with, with those of us who are followers of Jesus. If we go out there and we go, you know, how are you? Would you like to try on Jesus today? It, you're selling Jesus. And, and it's not love, right? So don't, the Bible says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really care about their best. Whether they ever follow God or not, come to Jesus or not, love them. Be real. What does that mean? Well, it means you don't have to be a super, you don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be Doug Mathers. Those two people shouldn't be in the same sentence. You don't have to be someone else, right? You got to be you. You, so you got to be, you got to be real. Don't, don't make Jesus bigger than He is in your life. Don't make Him smaller. Don't hide Jesus, right? You share your struggles. You know what the world thinks? They all think we're holier than them. I mean, they think we're trying to be. They think we think we're holier than them. They think that we're, and we, and we go up. We go. I got to be good enough to represent Jesus. No, you don't. You got to be real enough to represent Jesus, because what you're representing is someone who saved you and forgives you, not someone that you're good enough for. Right? Because if we're good enough, all that makes it unattainable. Why, that person's so good. I could never be like them. 
Oh, really? You could, you could be as forgiven as I am. Your sins take no more blood of Jesus than my sins take. Right? It's about being forgiven. So don't hide Jesus. Don't hide your struggles. And don't hide the good stuff. I mean, I've already told you, God has changed my life. I'm not the same guy. I'm full instead of empty. Am I always happy? No. Does everything work out in my life? No. Does my life suck sometimes? Yeah, but it sucks with Jesus. It's okay. <laughs> right? Because life has hard times and good times. That's, that's real. We are all real people. We all burp. We all sweat. We all go to the bathroom. We all pass gas. Okay? We can't, we can't hide all that stuff. I didn't mean to go to the middle school world, but they were falling asleep. I had to get them back. All right? So... You tell the truth about your life. People want authentic. Who wants to get sucked into something that's being sold? So we form these real relationships. We don't hide Jesus. We don't hide our struggles. We are forgiven people, not perfect people. And we don't hide the wisdom of God that we've grabbed onto because it's changed our lives. Right. How do we go back? We don't force Jesus into every conversation. That's not normal. It's not. It's spiritualizing everything. And everything is not spiritual. Right? I mean... Everything is not about Jesus, even though Jesus is in everything. It's kind of a hard thing to explain, but we don't have to. So, you know, when you're meeting with someone who was selling you insurance, they'll always bring it back to They'll bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And it's kind of like, I, I want to have a conversation where, I'm not, where you're not selling me something. It's the same thing. Being authentic friends means you're not always. Now, hang on to that because don't ignore Jesus and don't skip out on Jesus because in your, if, as you love God, he should pour out of you in natural ways. And it may take a little courage, courage on your part not to avoid Jesus, but don't force it. Don't force it. And what do we do? Well, after we have these authentic, loving relationships, there's going to come a time when there's going to come something that we could invite them to. And I'm going to call it church because it might be. That's our goal. Our goal is this service, what we do on weekends, that we would speak in such normal ways and so winsomely about our relationship with God and in practical ways, how God changes their lives, that you can invite somebody with confidence and go, I know this will be relevant to them. I can't wait for you to come to church. We, the, we try to make it good music for that reason. We try to make things normal. We, there's a lot of things we do around here so that when you're, you invite someone into church, they understand everything that happens, even if it's their first time. That's our goal. It's weird when you go to a church and you don't understand everything. You ever been there? Like, when do I stand up? When do I sit down? When do I do stuff? I don't know how to operate here, and we don't want them to have that kind of experience. But I want to talk about the word church for a moment because it might not be this. It might be your small group. That's, that's a gathering. That's what church means, ecclesia. It's a gathering of followers. It might be your small group's the right place. It might be that you're having a party and you're inviting your, some of your Christian friends to come and you invite them to that, and they get to meet people who can help be dominoes in their lives as well, right? So how do we go back? We invite them to church. I, I hope this place is a tool for those of you following Jesus that you can invite people to so that we can help you um, love the people that you love, your friends. How do we go back? We stay friends regardless, right? This means... When a long time has gone by, and you go, you know, Doug, I keep loving them, I keep, and I invite them to church and stuff, and maybe they've come a couple times, but they're just not, they haven't found God yet, and I'm just going to give up on them and go on to someone else. No, 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 no. That means they were a project to you. You stay in that relationship. Maybe it's not always the same intensity. All of our relationships kind of wave, right? But you stay in that, you keep loving them, you keep praying for them until they're not breathing anymore. Because that's what friends do. 
That's what real friendship is. Otherwise, they were just a project. Does that make sense? So now, remember the dynamics of influence? All of this is going to come into play. When we talk about honoring God with our lives, the more we live God-honoring lives, you have to trust me on this, the more people, and they're watching you, believe me, followers of Jesus, they're watching you, and they have a level of respect, not because you're perfect, but because you're honoring God with your life. Right? That, that respect factor goes up. The more you love them and are actual friends, you're going to invest your time and share your life with them in normal ways. Right? Their exposure is going to go up to who you are and how you're living and what following Jesus kind of looks like. And the more you love them, the more influence you're going to have. So if you high respect and high exposure, high influence, that's like a really good domino. This is, this is why those things, I mean, part of the reason why those things matter. Let me give you one more how we go back. We pray. I hope, those of you who are following Jesus, I hope you have people you're praying for. You guys know I, I golf. And I probably you think I golf well because I just tell you that I golf. I don't tell you how good or bad I am. But I've been golfing up in Pine Island. And sometimes I play alone. But usually now, I mean, less and less alone. It used to be a lot alone. Less and less alone. And there's about eight guys that I golf with. One of those guys goes to church here. The other ones don't. And I know I come home, and I've kind of joked about this before, and Lori will say, hey, so you went golfing today, you were with who you are with, and I tell her the names, and she goes, what would you talk about? And I go, golf. And she's like, how can that be fun, right? You didn't talk about it. <laughs> but what we've discovered is I've talked a lot, a, a lot more than that, that I'm developing friendships. Yes, it's over golf, but over time, on a lot of time, and I've asked Lori for more time to develop these friendships. <laughs> over time, over time, I've learned, and I'm not going to use her name just because I've learned about one guy, and we've talked about his divorce and his pain. Not in exactly those terms, but, you know, hey, the sting of his divorce has left him bitter and broke. And, and I pray for him. He's not going to any church. He's not even sure he believes in God at, at all. I know that because I've talked to him. And each of those guys, I could tell you parts of their lives and what's going on in their lives. And I thought, wow, we've talked about more than golf. I actually know these guys. I actually care about these guys. Right? These are guys, by the way, when they hit the ball and it goes into the woods, they'll say words that can't be said in church. And, um, and they'll look at me and go, oh, sorry. And I go, hey. I've heard all those words, and I've used most of them too, so just keep going. It's okay. Be yourself, because I don't want them faking it for me, right? We're just going to be real together. But I realize that I pray for them. I probably should pray for them more, but I'm praying for them. And I've invited them a couple times, some of them, to, to church, those kinds of things. So I'm kind of in those relationships. Let me tell you about one more thing. I, you know that, um, on the prayer note, you know that this is, I'm 58, and so I went to my 40th reunion that I didn't want to go to this summer. Many of you remember the story, right? So I went, and one of the guys who I played cards with, our class president, in fact, um, he and I were talking. He's a good friend of mine, Tim Johansson. He's a physician in Arizona now. And uh, Tim became a Christian as well about his third year in, in um, well, I think it was medical school, right? And he and his wife became believers at the same time. And Tim came to me and he goes, Doug, i got to tell you something. I go, what? And I go, well, I remember the night we were playing cards at your house and your mom came downstairs in her bathrobe. And I know she wasn't feeling well because my mom had a lot of headaches. And she looks at them and she goes, boys, 
I want you to know that I'm praying for each and every one of you. And it wasn't like I'm praying because you're playing poker. She sat down and played with us sometimes. It wasn't that. Right? She loved my friends. And Tim didn't grow up in a Christian home. His dad was an alcoholic. He shared with me, reminded me of. He told me some other things. And he said, Doug, I believe that it was your mom praying that was the first key to me walking through the door of Jesus. And I'm like, I thought she was just up there being having a headache, you know. Um, but he remembered that, right? So we prayed because we can't, this is not about us alone. It's about us following God. So here's what I'm asking for. Can you come to the day where you just go, this is not right. It's not right for us just to live in God, soak up all the good things of God, keep it to ourselves, pray for each other, and live the most comfortable lives we, we can. This is the day of good news. And we aren't sharing with anyone. That's a problem. So if, if you know you're far from God, if you're on that side, you know that front side of the line, um, I just want to put it as clearly as I can. What drives me is not to make you religious. What drives me is I just don't want you to miss out. I just don't want you to miss out on the best thing that ever happened to me. And I want you to know it. I want you to experience it. And you, I, can't, I can't put you there. You have to find your way to God like we all do. But it is through Christ who died for our sins. That's our prayer for you. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, let's be salt and light. Let's not go through the motions. Let's not just enjoy it. Let's be salt and light. Let's be someone's first domino. And let's start that right now by praying. God, we, um, first of all, I'm, I'm going to pray to you. I'm maybe even with some of those who we've kept you at a distance for whatever. Maybe we don't want you messing with our lives. Maybe we have some intellectual objection. Maybe something else is going on, God. But, but I pray for those in the room who know they're not following you. And God, I pray that you would give them um, answers to their questions that they need to be answered. But it, maybe even more than that, that you would give them a sense that you are, are real and are here, that you love them, and invite them to you as, your fa as, as Father. I don't want anybody to miss out, God, and I know you don't either. God, help us, those of us who are followers of Jesus, to really love, to go back, to not stay in the holy huddle, and to risk being uncomfortable because there's so much at stake. Help us to be salt and light. In Christ's name we pray, amen.